Welcome to Transportation Radio. My name is Bernie Wagenblast, and today we're continuing our State DOT Profile Series. My guest is Mark Lucan. He's the Commissioner of the Alaska Department of Transportation and Public Facilities. Mark, welcome to Transportation Radio. Well, thank you, Bernie. It's great to be here. Each State DOT is unique, but I think it's probably safe to say that in Alaska you're dealing with issues that are far different from your counterparts in the lower 48. First of all, of course, there's the size of the state, the largest in the Union. Its climate, especially at this time of year, is extreme, and its remoteness and the areas of wilderness mean that transportation is a much different challenge for you and your residents. Why don't we begin by giving us an overview of Alaska DOT and public facilities, please? Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that opportunity, and I, I'm just going to share some uh, some facts, I guess, that will will help frame just exactly what uh, what you described, Bernie. And that is, only two percent of our land mass is actually covered by roads. I think that's a really important uh, important fact uh, to to bring out. Uh, that's equivalent to roughly eleven thousand lane miles of roads. Uh, the other really important piece uh, to recall or to identify that means that 82% of our communities are not connected by a road. Uh, So the only way you're going to get into many of these smaller villages and even some larger towns is either by air or by by water. And so that's why we have the marine highway system, uh, which is another piece of our, you know, very important piece of our transportation system. It's not only... um, important to the people of coastal Alaska, but all the way up into interior Alaska. It is also the longest ferry system in the in the country at a little over 3,200 miles, uh, which is roughly the, the distance between Miami and Seattle. Uh, so just to give people a kind of a frame of reference, just as you said, the size of our state uh, really drives uh, some differences for Alaska when it comes to transportation. Now, one of the things that makes Alaska DOT a bit different are in two letters. It's not just Alaska DOT, but Alaska DOT and PF Public Facilities. What is that? Well, um, we uh, we do have a division uh, that is primarily responsible for um, the state's uh, facilities that uh, are designed and constructed within the state. Uh, and so we have a small group of folks that are um, architects and engineers that that uh, help uh, work with uh, design uh, firms to design these facilities and then ultimately to, to manage the uh, the construction contracts as well. So, yeah, that is a, a bit of a difference, but I think uh, back in the day they saw that, uh, we, you know, we had uh, horizontal engineers, and so why not put vertical engineers uh, next to them? And so that's uh, uh, primarily what our public facilities group does. You mentioned about with many of the Alaska communities it's necessary to get there via water or by air. So airports obviously serve a very critical role with connecting these communities to the rest of the state as well as to the rest of the nation. Tell me a little bit about Alaska's rural airports and the role that aviation plays in the state. You know, again, an um, important point about DOT in Alaska is that we are the sponsor for the vast majority of, of state-owned, well, state-owned airports, uh, which means um, we're responsible for 
uh, both capital and operating uh, 240 rural airports, um, which are those airports that, just as we said earlier, are in the villages, but they're also uh, in some of the larger towns um, in the state, to name a couple, Ketchikan, Wrangell, Petersburg, Bethel, Kotzebue, Nome, those are fairly good-sized uh, towns and yet uh, not connected by by a road system. Um, and so we manage uh, the airports. Some of them are what are known as Part 139 or certificated airports. So, uh, you know, you have jet traffic that will go in and out of those uh, larger uh, larger towns, but we also have many that are very, very small villages out in western Alaska, anywhere from 2,500 to uh, 3,000 foot gravel uh, runways that serve as the primary lifeline for those communities, especially in the winter when it comes to getting fuel, groceries, uh, and other supplies in and out of those villages. Keeping those airports open in the winter, I would imagine, is quite a challenge. They may be gravel, but still trying to keep snow and ice off of those runways has to be pretty tough during the wintertime, I would think. Yes, um, and, you know, and in many cases, we don't necessarily try to keep, you know, all the snow and ice off, but we at least try to keep a, a level landing surface um, plowed, and so we have contractors in, in each of these villages, and, and uh, you know, every village runway will have at least a grader uh, that is available for the contractor to use to, to do exactly that, just to keep the, uh, the landing surface fairly well plowed and, and uh, smooth and also uh, make sure the, uh, the lights work because it's pretty dark out there in the wintertime. And I think that's another, you know, another piece of the uniqueness of Alaska that a lot of people don't uh, remember is uh, roughly Fairbanks and north, uh, most of those villages, you know, the sun goes down in November and doesn't come back up until February. Now, when it comes to aviation, you came into this job with some unique qualifications yourself, having spent nearly three decades in the United States Air Force, a good part of that time as a fighter pilot. Do you think that training, that experience brought some additional insights into doing your job? Well, I think um, probably the the thing I, I feel like I brought the most with me was a lot of the just the leadership uh, training and experience that I had in the in the military, and, and realistically, I think that's what what this job uh, needs the most is um, is somebody who is you know got some leadership skills that wants to you know that's willing to make decisions, accept responsibility for those decisions, and really let um, let their organization who are uh, you know and DO, you know, Alaska DOT is no exception, you know full of really really capable people. Just let them do their job and do it as well as they uh, they possibly can. And so um, I think that's probably the the piece that that uh, the Air Force helped me with, and uh, I was able to bring to uh, to our organization and have uh, have had, had some success uh, from that. You also had mentioned a bit earlier talking about the Alaska Marine Highway System about how important a role that plays in the state. Anyone who's familiar with the geography of Alaska knows that obviously many of the towns are along the coastline and can be served by those boats. I don't even know if you could necessarily call them ferries, at least when we compare them with ferries here on the East Coast. We think of boats that run in New York Harbor and across rivers right. and things of that sort, but your ferries are full-blown ships in, in many cases, traversing the, the waters around Alaska. And, of course, you've got the Aleutian Islands, which stretch out for quite a distance away from the mainland. Talk again a little bit more about 
the maritime part of transportation, not just the, the marine highway system, but maritime transportation as a whole for the state. Yeah, we, um, you know, I'll start with the marine highway system. That's where, you know, kind of my knowledge exists. But, um, yeah, indeed, we, um, we do transport people and vehicles and goods. Um, oftentimes, uh, you know, we're shipping fish on, uh, on our, uh, marine highway system. And, and just as you said, when we say ferry, it's, it's not what most people imagine, uh, you know, you know, whether it's the Staten Island ferry system or the Washington State ferry system, those type of ferries. These are ocean going vessels that, uh, still carry, uh, vehicles and, and, um, 18 wheelers, but, uh, and people, but, uh, they look quite different than, um, than many of the ferries people would, uh, typically imagine. But you're exactly right. You know, the marine transportation system in Alaska is very vibrant, um, and, uh, a lot of goods and material, uh, is, are moved primarily by sea all, all the way from Seattle, which is a, a major, uh, logistic and supply point all the way up through the west coast of Alaska and all the way into the Yukon and Kuskokwim rivers and up those rivers through the summertime to get very critical supplies, fuel, materials into those villages along those rivers as well. So very much a, uh, a vibrant part of our transportation system is, uh, is the marine side. Well, it's not part of the responsibilities of your agency. What is the relationship with the Alaska Railroad, which also plays a, a big role with moving people and freight around the state. I sit on the railroad board, uh, and so I'm, I'm part of that uh, fiduciarily responsible board that oversees uh, the railroad's operations as well as their finances. But um, we also work very, uh, very closely with the railroad because obviously um, there are still many at-grade crossings, um, and uh, and so we are, you know, very much tied in with them to make sure that, you know, we can provide a safe transportation system uh, between the railroad and our and our road system. Uh, so we work uh, very much right in line with uh, with them to make sure that those crossings uh, remain safe, remain uh, well maintained, and certainly also target um, areas where we can grade separate uh, many of those crossings to uh, again improve the flow of commerce and uh, and also improve safety, uh, which is paramount. We haven't talked too much about the road system itself. Uh, we've talked about some of the difficulties with traveling around the state, but there are a number of roadways uh, in Alaska, obviously. What about some of the difficulties with maintaining that road system? Obviously, some of it built on permafrost, which yep. presents a unique challenge. But, again, the remoteness and the climate and the weather challenges of operating a road system in Alaska. We are, uh, you know, really, especially this time of year, constantly battling um, the elements, and uh, we do get quite a bit of snow and um, and quite a bit of wind in some places. And so just like many um, states in the lower 48 where, you know, uh, crews are battling those similar elements to keep their uh, road system open and operating, especially the interstates, um, we have very similar challenges in that way um, but as you said we have uh, very very long stretches of road you know it can be pretty expensive sometimes um, you know w with uh, some remote camps that we have up on, especially up on the on what we call the Dalton Highway which is the road all the way to the North Slope and uh, so it's just the cost of operating and maintaining those camps as well that uh, you know adds to the cost of that maintenance 
that road is uh, many people may be familiar with uh, the ice road truckers. That's that's the ice road that uh, that that show is uh, kind of revolves around, and uh, and we literally create that ice road, especially on the northern part of that road, primarily because when you get below minus 20. Uh, ice is actually more tacky than asphalt. That's uh, something that uh, a lot of people won't won't recognize or realize. But uh, those uh, those truckers would would prefer it to be ice uh, rather than um, some other substance in the wintertime. Since you mentioned ice road truckers, uh, that show uh, another program, deadliest catch, which looks a little bit more at the fishing aspects of of Alaska, but still a part of the transportation picture. Those kinds of reality shows, which are obviously focused on some of the extremes that are faced in Alaska. What's the feeling of Alaskans when they see those kinds of programs and, and how that portrays the state? Mm. Well, I think they, they definitely recognize that, you know, the shows are, are made to draw um, viewers. And so um, I think a, a lot of Alaskans uh, see those as uh, um, maybe a little beyond reality uh, and, uh the, you know, for the most part, Alaskans, um, you know, are used to uh, operating in these elements. And so, um, you know, they just they know what to expect and are generally very prepared for some of the extremes that we do uh, do experience. Um, you know, when uh, when a major city like Fairbanks has temperatures in the minus 40s for, you know, uh, a long stretch of time, that that really plays havoc, not just on road on the the actual driving surface, but on the on the vehicles themselves as well. With again Alaska's remoteness, communication is certainly very critical. And when it comes to transportation, you want to be able to communicate with your customers, with the citizens of Alaska, as well as visitors that are coming to the state. Tell me a bit about Alaska DOT's communications from 511 and social media and things that you're doing there. Mm -hmm. You know, we are building and have a pretty uh, strong communications team, and uh, and they are using, um, you know, many of those things you just mentioned. We we have a very um, a strong 511 system and seems to be, you know, gathering some momentum with uh, with our customers to to use that system. But we also have a, a really strong social media presence as well with a with a Facebook account and a Twitter account, and uh, I think that's the the piece that uh, our folks are recognizing is um, our customers are, you know, using many other different media sources besides the traditional uh, newspaper um, and uh, and even television or radio news. And so, um, you know, we are uh, definitely aggressively pursuing that 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 medium of social media to to get the message out and make sure that uh, uh, all our customers are, are aware of what's going on with our system. When it comes to the Internet, is that something that's generally available even in remote and small villages in the state? Well, it is a bit of a challenge, but that is certainly uh, one of the uh, the major uh, infrastructure goals, I think, for our state is to is to get broadband uh, access out into, uh, into um, rural Alaska, and uh, we are seeing success, successes there. But yeah, that's uh, that's still definitely a challenge for us, and one that you know that I've certainly tried to communicate that a really robust uh, communication system is necessary if we're going to be able to get messages out to the, the remote part of uh, the remoter parts of our state. And again, this is probably something that more affects the more populated sections of Alaska, whether it's around Anchorage or Juneau, uh, places like that. But 
ITS, what kind of role does intelligent transportation systems play when it comes to Alaska? Well, we are we are definitely pursuing that and have been for for many years, and uh, and so you're right. I think it's it's more prevalent in the um, in the uh, the larger population areas, but we are also incorporating it out into um, many of our rural uh, or more or lower ADT roads that are still very important, like the Richardson Highway, like the Alaska Highway, and what we're finding is using the uh, Road Weather Information Service that uh, many people are very uh, dependent on that and have become very dependent on uh, the information that comes from that, you know, as they are making plans. Uh, certainly the trucking industry is very uh, keen on using uh, information like that from our intelligent transportation system products. I mentioned earlier about your years of service in the United States Air Force. What was your background before the Air Force? Uh, was that your first transportation experience, or was transportation something that uh, was of interest to you from your early days? No, I think um, you know certainly uh, you know once I was um, you know I guess maybe in high school you know I I really recognized that I'd like to serve and and so um, applied and was accepted to the Air Force Academy and so my um, College degree was you know from you know from an you know an Air Force institution and and that was pretty much my life for uh, for the the rest of my adult life until I retired so um, yeah I think you know just uh, flying was definitely a, um, a desire and a goal of mine and I was very fortunate to be able to uh, to do that for a good portion of my adult life. Did you grow up in Alaska? I did not. Um, I'm actually a, mid, a Midwest boy, like uh, like many Alaskans, uh, was transplanted here at, at one point in my career. And were you a pilot before you uh, went to the Air Force Academy, or is that where you learned to fly? That's where I started flying. Well, thank you very much, Mark. We've been talking on Transportation Radio with Mark Lucan. He's the Commissioner of the Alaska Department of Transportation and Public Facilities. Mark, once again, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Well, thank you very much, Bernie. I really, really, again, appreciate the opportunity.